Open your Bibles, if you would, to 1 Samuel chapter 15. We'll be, we'll, we'll, we'll be in 1 Samuel 15, and, my, and then hoping we, we get to Matthew 6 uh, by the end. Um, Matthew chapter 15, and then Matthew chapter 6. So you can uh, actually um, put your uh, marker in Matthew 6, and hopefully we'll be there in a few minutes. 1 Samuel 15. Did I not give you those? Oh, okay, there it is. Oh, okay. Okay, okay, okay. And that, yeah, we'll blame Brandon. Yeah, that, that works for me. <laughs> okay, so before we get into the next section here in the Sermon on the Mount, which, you know, I hope, you, I hope you've, you've enjoyed the study on the Sermon on the Mount. I have... Thoroughly enjoyed studying for it and and praying over it and meditating on it, but we just finished the section. The end of the end of chapter five is what I call dealing with real life issues. Um, uh, Jesus addressed real life issues for the day, but also things that we still deal with in in, in our society today as well. Um, what was it? Murder, right? Come on, help me out. Adultery, Adultery divorce. divorce. Uh, loving your enemies, loving yeah, loving your neighbors. Okay, see these are real life issues. These are things that 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 we still deal with today, and and they are and they are passionate. Uh, and so Jesus here in chapter six uh, starts a new a, a new. Uh, There you go. Thank you. Uh, a new line of thought uh, in his Sermon on the Mount. And he starts to address the issue of worship. Okay? And he, he talks primarily about three different things in worship. Um, so tonight, what I, what I wanted to do is I want to ask us the question, what is worship? Because what I have found over the years is that most people either A, do not understand what worship is, or B, they think they know what it is, but they're, they're, they're limited to what they're, what they're thinking. Does that make sense? Okay, so my question is, what is worship? Okay, okay, excellent. It is, it is everything that we do as a church and more. You know, years ago, years ago, uh, when, we, when we started the church, I don't know if those of you that have been here a long time remember this, but we used to do the, the announcements in the middle of the service. We would sing a song, you know, and then I'd come up, greet everybody. We sing another song, and then we do all the announcements. Then we sing another song, and we go into the service. And I, I was praying. I was. This is this has been back at least 10, 11 years ago. And I was praying about it, and I thought, why do why do we do that? Why why do we come in and sing a song? and then pray, sing a song, have announcements, sing a song, have a special, and preach the message. Why do we do it that way? 
that is exactly the answer I came up with. Every church I had ever been a part of, that's how they did it. So, you know, when we started here, I thought, that's just the way you do it. And I thought, that's stupid. So we, we changed up how we do, and we do the announcements at the end for a couple of reasons, because you forget anyway. You know, you tell, you tell people in the middle of the service, by the end of the service, I mean, you forget at the end of the service. So it's almost like, why even do it? But you have to, because then, anyway, long. <laughs> so my, my point is this. What is worship? A, a, lot of, a lot of churches have what they call praise and worship teams. And <clears throat> although I'm not necessarily opposed to those, what I am opposed of is what you call them. Because what happens is, and I've had, I've had many a discussions with a lot of people that come from those type churches, and <clears throat> they have accused us of not having worship in our service because we do not have a praise and worship team. You've got to have a team in order to have worship. Well, they have a, they have a misunderstanding of what worship is. Because if you have to get worked up, and, and I'm just being honest, you know, a praise and worship team is designed to get the crowd excited. That's, that's their function. And I don't necessarily, you know, again, I'm not beating up on churches that do that. That's, that's their business. That's fine. That's, the, you know, that's how they do it. But if you have to get pumped up in order to be able to worship, then there's something wrong with your worship. You follow me? So, what is worship? Anything that glorifies God. Okay. Right. Okay, Brandon? Right. Right. Because not everybody is going to emotionally connect to the same song. Not everybody is going to have that big emotional moment. You can have an emotional moment in a hymn. There were, we sang all three of our songs this morning were hymns. We haven't had all three of our songs be out of the hymnal in a really long time. Yeah, it's been a while, yeah. Right. Had nothing to do with the piano or whatever it's called, with the words right. in their hearts. But then there were 
<laughs> yes. Okay. Anybody else? Yeah, to piggyback off of what Melanie said, I think it's not just Saturday. I think it's every day we wake up that we recognize that this is the day that God has made and that we are ready ourselves to worship Him all through the day. Amen. You know, it doesn't have to just be. See, I think, I, and I, I think you're really picking a scab here. Uh oh. <laughs> because. Honestly, most people, and I'm just being honest, most people believe that they can only worship in church. And, and that is anything but true. See, worship is an attitude of the heart. And worship can take place in your, in your prayer closet. In fact, in fact, some of the greatest times of worship that I've had has been when it's just God and myself talking. Sometimes not even talking, just crying. So what what is worship? And 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 as as Jesus turns the corner and changes thoughts here on the Sermon on the Mount, he brings up, like I said, three three items, and we'll we'll get to them later. But I just wanted to lay the foundation of what what is what is worship, because <clears throat> that's not it. Uh, <laughs> that's just the opposite. Um, but I, I I came across this list. I've had this list for a long time. I have no idea where I got this list. It's not original to me. Somebody out there a lot smarter than me wrote this list. But it's it, it's six. It, it's um, a scriptural view of worship, the worship of God as a sixfold activity. So they the 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 author of this thing. It's not an article, but anyway, uh, this list identifies six things that scripturally that identifies worship in our lives. Let me give them to you. Number one, praising God for all that he is. That has to be number one. Praising God for all that he is. Okay, really quickly, what, who is God? Creator, Savior, come on. Uh, I'm sorry? Provider, Redeemer, Love, the Holy One. He's righteous, He's the judge. He, he's my rock, He's my, my f- refuge, my fortress. He's my friend. 
See, these are things that, that we should, uh, right off the top of our, 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 our heads, we should be able to think about who God is and meditate on these things on, at, on a regular basis. I have a whole list of, uh, in my prayer book, I have a whole list, a whole page of the attributes of God. And I, I will regularly go through that list. Some, some days I, I just focus on one. Sometimes I get three or four. Sometimes I read the whole list. You know, understanding who God is and giving Him praise for that. Number two, thank, thank Him for His gifts and goodness to us. When's the last time you thank God that you're breathing? I know, I know you're thanking God that your, your tests are coming back good. You know what I'm saying? But thank Him for His goodness to us. When's the last time you thank God that you have food on your table? What are some other things that we should thank God for? Family. All the moisture we've had. Absolutely. A roof over our heads. Salvation. My, my favorite thing that I thank God for is His patience in my life. That's, I, I, he probably gets tired of hearing that from me. He probably needs more patience because <laughs> he's so patient with me. Because I know me. And I know I'm an idiot. Yeah, we all are. We all make mistakes. Amen. His faithfulness. Okay, number three. Uh, prayer. Asking Him to meet our needs and the needs of others. That prayer is part of worship. The act of prayer, the, 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 the act of, of setting time aside to spend time with an almighty God is part of worship. And we should do that all the time. Number four, offering him our time, talents, and treasures. You know, there's more to, there's more to uh, us giving to God than just what's in our wallets. Which, out of the three that I mentioned, times, talents, and treasures, which is the one least important to God? Treasures. He doesn't need our he doesn't need our money. Last time I checked, this book here says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I was I was talking with someone and uh, in reference to our, our ten acres over here. And and I, I told him, I said, look, as far as our church, it, it, it is it is not feasible that we could afford to develop that 10 acres because it's going to cost us to build our first building probably about three, three and a half million dollars to build our first building. And everybody goes, whoa. But you know what? Let me ask you a question. 
from God's perspective, which is harder for him to provide for us? Three and a half million dollars or three dollars and fifty cents? That's the exact same. And if God wants us to develop that property, we'll have the money. Money means nothing to God, but it means everything to us. That's why we need to learn how to give it. Time, our talents. Because you know what? We all have a different talents. Um, what's the word? Gifts. We all have different gifts. And praise God, they're, we, they're, we, they're not all the same. And there, there are gifts that you have that, that, that I don't have and that I have. And, and you know, God, God is just faithful that way. But he wants us to give. And every time you give your time or your talent or your treasure, that is worship. Number five, learning his word from his word from preaching, but ultimately learning to obey the voice of God. That's worship. Well, well, I kind of paraphrased it. Learning his word from his word, okay, through preaching and obeying his voice. Learning to obey the voice. That's worship. Do you realize that every time you listen to the Holy Spirit within you, that's worship? It's obedience. Every time we obey, it is a form of worship. Every time we take a minute and sit down and read the Word of God, that's worship. Well, let me, let me rephrase that. You can read the Word of God and it means nothing. But if you spend time in the Word of God, praying and asking Him to speak to your heart, that's worship. Listening to the Word of God through preaching and through teaching is, is, is worship. And then number six, <clears throat> telling others of His worth. What, what is worth-ship? Worship. What is worship? It is worth-ship. It's a compound word. It means worth, his worth, his worship. Telling others of his worth. Standing up in a, at work or with family and declaring, thus saith the Lord. You know, you're, you're going to be facing a challenge this week. People are going to be watching. If you do it right, it's worship. I want to read you something. It's kind of lengthy, so you're going to have to bear with me. But I want I want to I want to share something with you. I came across this many many years ago. I, I've I've had it for a long time, and 
and and the Lord just reminded me of it uh, recently. And, and I want to I want to share this with you because well I'll explain at the end. Um, there's a there's a man. His name is Kerry Schmidt. Kerry Schmidt currently is a pastor of a church back east somewhere. Uh, I want to say Connecticut. Connecticut. Um, when when this when this was written, uh, he was the youth pastor at a large church in Southern California. Kerry Schmidt, or, or Pastor Schmidt, um, uh, also has authored a few books. In fact, we've got I think we have a couple of them here. Um, but he, this is what he said. This is, this is what he wrote. He said, I received a letter from a young lady last week. A Bible, a, a Bible college student who grew up in a Christian home and in a Christian school. I believe it's the saddest letter I've ever read. And right on the mark for so detailed uh, for for so detailing the experience of so many young Christians. <clears throat> and uh, he, he puts a little note in here that he asked her if he could publish the letter, and, and she said it was okay. So the, let me read you the letter from this young lady that she wrote to him. She says, Dear Pastor Schmidt, a few years ago, I read your book, Hook, Line, and Sinker, Discover Your Destiny, and Life Quest. I found them to be extremely encouraging and instructive. These books showed me that not only do you have a real heart for young people, but you also understand us as well. I am writing to ask you to consider writing a book to our parents and youth workers. Ouch. She says, she says, let me explain. I am a junior at a well-known Christian college. I grew up in a highly respected Baptist church and went to an excellent Christian school. My father has been a Christian worker since before I was born one would think that my testimony would go something like this. I was saved when I was about five, and I had uh, dedicated my life to God and have been growing a lot and serving Him, uh, and now I am studying to serve Him full time. But that isn't my story. Actually, Though I did make a profession of faith when I was very young, I didn't get saved until I was 17. Since I was 12 and now on into college, I have struggled with serious issues. I found out when I went to college that I am not the only one, or excuse me, that I'm not the only good kid who is or has struggled with or is still struggling with serious stuff. We struggle with issues like eating disorders, depression and suicide, cutting, pornography, gender identity, homosexuality, drugs, drinking, 
immorality, and the list goes on and on. We listen to wild music. We idolize pop culture heroes. We watch uh, dirty sitcoms. We have no discrimination in our entertainment, dress, or in any aspect of our lives. Obviously, I'm generalizing our problem. You would not find <clears throat> you would you would not find that every Christian young person from a conservative background struggles with all of these issues. And praise God, some of us do not struggle with all of these issues. My point is this. The problem the excuse me, the problems that are supposed to be bad kid problems belong to us too. Unfortunately, our parents and our youth workers don't know that we struggle with these things and they don't know what to do with us when they find out. Quite frankly, I believe that if you um, <clears throat> excuse me, quite frankly, <clears throat> Uh, uh, I believe that if you grabbed the average Christian school teacher or youth worker and asked them, what would you do if you found out that one of the kids you work with was a homosexual? They wouldn't know what to say. My point is not simply that they don't know <clears throat> what we are struggling with or how to deal with it. I think there is a pretty simple reason why good kids struggle with such serious stuff and that there is a solution. At the risk of being blunt, I'm going to be blunt. Our parents <clears throat> did not spend time teaching us to love God. Our parents put us in Sunday school since K-4. Our parents took us to church every time the doors were open and sent us to every youth activity. They made sure that uh, we went to good Christian colleges. They had us sing in the choir, help in the nursery, be ushers, go soul winning. They did uh, teen devotions. <clears throat> Excuse me. We did teen devotions and prayed over every meal. We did everything right. And they made sure that we did, but they forgot about our hearts. They forgot that the Bible never commanded the church to teach children about God and His ways. That responsibility <clears throat> was laid at the feet of the fathers. Unfortunately, our fathers don't have time for us. They put us <clears throat> where we are surrounded by uh, the Bible, but they don't take time to show us that God has important uh, that that God was important enough to them to tell us personally about Him. So to us, Christianity has become a religion of externals. Do all the right stuff, and you're a good Christian. So some of us walk away from church. Some of us stay in church and fill a pew. Many of us struggle with stuff 
that our parents have no idea because they hardly know us. I think these problems stem from first our detachment from our parents and second from our misunderstanding about the essence of Christianity, a relationship, not a list of rules. I worry that many young people like me are not even saved because of their misunderstanding about Christianity. I know that this has been Uh, has not been a well-articulated treatise, but it comes from the heart. If you were able to help us, our families, we would be so grateful. I realize that probably there is no way to fix the fact that kids my age are detached from our parents or, or to straighten out the crazy stuff that we are struggling with. The, <clears throat> the annihilation uh, is, is fixed. The scars are permanent. I know that our situation is not hopeless. God is at work in my life and my generation among those of us who have struggled and are struggling. But maybe your younger siblings can have some help. <clears throat> Excuse me. That our younger siblings can have some help that that we never had. Maybe you can write a book to our parents. <clears throat> that will grab their attention and help them to see the serious <clears throat> see that this is serious and that their kids need them desperately. I guess I've run out of things to say. I must say I'm a little hesitant to share my name with you because uh, that attaches me with my parents uh, who are, by the way, good people. Thanks for everything uh, you have already done uh, to help Christian teens and their families. I'm eager to see what else God will do through you. And that's the end of the letter. That's a scary letter. <laughs> you know, but but what is what is the problem? What it the, the okay the, the okay it's a heart problem, but what did the the parents of this young lady and and so many other parents? What did they fail? Well. Okay, but you, but you're missing a key word. There was no worship. There was no worship. There was no worship in the home. Now, whether there was in the church, 
We don't know. But I can tell you this. If there is no worship in the home, there will be no worship in the heart of that young person. It's just that true. Because what will children do? Will they do what you say or will they do what you do? They will do what you do. And worse. And when children... And I, I and my, my wife and I have seen it, and we fought. We tried so hard with our kids. I don't know. Did we fail, Ashley? No, I'm teasing. Uh, <laughs> but we did. Yeah. <laughs> we tried so hard. And, and we failed in a lot of areas, particularly me. Melanie did a lot better job at, at teaching our kids how to worship. And, and there's a lot of reasons why I didn't, but I didn't. I, I failed a lot of that. But we tried. But if you, cannot, if you cannot worship at home, you're not going to worship here. You, you can go through the motions, and you can get emotional, but um, getting emotional is not worship. What is worship? Praising, craving, craving God. This morning I put two verses up and I ask you to find the thing that was common in both of them. I'm going to do it again tonight. I'm going to give you two verses and I want you to, to tell me what is common in these two verses. The first one is Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. Whatsoever ye do in word and deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Next verse. <clears throat> Thank you, Chris. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. <clears throat> and whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. So what is the commonality of these two verses? It's two letters. Do. Do. We can get to the place in our lives that we are so busy doing that we forget the person we're doing it for. And God here in these two verses very clearly reminds us never to lose focus. Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily unto the Lord, not unto men. See, we can... And, and, and I'm guilty of this. We can get so busy doing, 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 that we forget that we're doing it for the Lord. And we can, we, you know, we talked about it this morning. <clears throat> Why do you do what you do?
You know, what, is, what, is, what does worship look like in your home? Is worship in front of the TV? <laughs> if you're watching Charles Stanley or something. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But you know what I mean. What does your worship look like? Is it, is it, you tell me. I mean, I could, I could start naming off things, but I get people mad at me, so I'm not going to do that. Because that's not the point. The point is this. What does your worship look like? Are you spending time as a family core group? Now, I realize like Brandon is, and Chris, you're single, single people, but what does your worship look like? Several years ago, I shouldn't say several, a few years ago, um, my wife and I got into a discussion, and, and um, quite frankly, we, we had to do the way, re, redo the way we were spending time together because we weren't spending enough time together prayerfully. So we had to redo some things. And that's okay. What does your worship look like? First Samuel, hopefully you have found it by now. <clears throat> you probably forgot we were even there, huh? <laughs> Your phone went dead, didn't it? <laughs> First Samuel chapter 15. I, I, I love the book of First Samuel, First uh, Second Samuel. I, I love it. It's, you know, Saul and David and all that and Samuel and I, I just love it. But there's an important truth here in chapter 15 I want to share with you in verse, verses 1 through 3. And Saul, or excuse me, and Samuel uh, said unto Saul, The Lord sent me uh, to anoint the king over, uh, over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken unto, uh, thou uh, unto the voice of the Lord, uh, to, excuse me, of uh, the voice of the Lord, uh, the words, of, the words of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel. Now, uh, how he uh, laid wait for him in the way when he came out of Egypt. Now go and smite, smite the Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and spare not, spare them not. Slay both men and women, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, camel and ass. Now, <clears throat> God gives Saul, the king of Israel, his marching orders. Now, I'm not going to get into a discussion, you know, th that sounds awful brutal, you know, that, that's not the point here. The point is this, what did God tell Samuel to do, or what did God Tell Samuel to tell Saul to do. Get, kill them all. Just annihilate everything. Everything. Okay? <clears throat> Look down to verse 8. <clears throat> and he, being Saul, the king, took Agag, the king of, of the Amalekites, alive, and other, utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. And Saul... <clears throat> But Saul and the people spared Agag 
and the best of the sheep, and of the oxen, and of the fatlings, and of the lambs, and all that was good, and would not utterly destroy them. But everything that was vile and refuge that they destroyed utterly. So what did they do? Okay, they did not do what God told them to do. Again, I'm not going to get into the debate. Well, God shouldn't have thought that's that's that that that's not the point. Okay, God told them to do it. They didn't do it. Look at verse 19. <clears throat> Wherefore. Then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord. Okay, so what's, happen, what's, what's, what's taking place here? Um, what happened is Samuel the prophet comes back to Saul and he's, and he's getting in his face, I guess you'd say, okay? And he says, uh, uh, wherefore, um, uh, then didst thou not obey the voice of the Lord, but didst fly upon uh, the spoil, and didst evil in the sight of the Lord. And Saul said unto Samuel, Yea, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. That's a lie. Okay? It's a lie. And have done uh, the way which the Lord sent me, and have uh, brought Agag, uh, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites, but the people, this is, we, we have a really cool phrase for that in our society today. We call it blame shifting, okay? But it wasn't me. It was the people. But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, and the chief of, of the things uh, which should have utterly destroyed and uh, to sacrifice un, unto the Lord thy God, in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in the obeying the voice of the Lord? Obey, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to, the, uh, to hearken than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as is as iniquity and idolatry. But because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. Obedience is better than simply doing. God wants us to do, but he wants us to do it according to his will. Worship. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31. Whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God. Why do you do what you do? Why do you do what you do? Let me read four verses and then we'll be done. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it is, are the issues of life. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 19. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Deuteronomy chapter 4, and verse 9. Only take heed 
to thyself and keep thy soul diligently, lest thou forget the things which thine eyes have seen, and lest they depart from thy heart all the days of thy life. But teach them, <clears throat> thy sons and thy sons' sons. Boy, that's an important verse. That's an important verse. <clears throat> Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Deuteronomy also says it is a responsibility of the father of the home to cause their children to worship God. And then it would fall on the mother. Mark chapter 14, verse 38. Watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. The spirit truly is ready, but the flesh is weak. Again, as we, as we are going to be changing topics here, and Jesus is going to be talking about worship, I want you to spend some time this week thinking about what worship is. And it's just, it's not something that we ritually do and, and we go through the motions and we, we, we check it off at the end of the week. Hey, I, got, I spent time with God this week. That's not worship. Worship is an attitude of the heart. And I think, at least the way I read that letter that, that I, I read to you, <clears throat> when I read that letter, I see a family that failed to worship that failed as a family unit to spend time worshiping God in their home. That's what I see. What does your, your worship look like in your home? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work that you do in our lives. And Lord, as we uh, conclude our service, we ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would in, in, encourage us, uh, but, Lord, that you would help us to be more like you in everything that we say and do. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.